0: Welcome to another edition of Opera for Everyone. I'm your host, Pat Wright, and today I'm joined by Rosie Brooks. Hi, Rosie. Hi, thank you very much for having me. Well, thank you, and thank you for suggesting this opera. This is the cunning little vixen that we're listening to today. Yeah, it's very exciting. (laughs) Well, it is an opera by the Czech composer, Leos Janáček, it was first premiered in Brno in Czechoslovakia then, Czech Republic today, in 1924. And it has a beautiful prelude that I think we should jump right into and then we'll tell you a little bit more about the opera. But will you tell us the scene that takes place during this prelude?
1: Yes, so we're, we're setting the scene and the animals and the insects are all playing. It's a wonderful summer afternoon in the forest. So there's all the buzz of the animals.
2: Thank you.
0: That was the prelude from The Cunning Little Vixen by Leo Janáček. and Rosie we are we're in the forest and we have all these insects and animals and before we introduce our characters our main characters for the opera let's talk a little bit about this opera and how it came into existence because interesting Leo Janáček is the librettist for the opera, as well as the composer.
1: Yeah, but it was based on a novella, which was originally a series in a newspaper, uh, which was quite interesting because there were illustrations of all the characters. So fascinating for me.
0: (laughs) Yes, I had read that one of the editors of this newspaper in Brno, where he lived in Czechoslovakia, found these illustrations by this artist and thought, oh, we can really do something with this, and contacted this writer, Tesno Lidek, and asked him to write a story to fit all of these illustrations. And these were illustrations that this artist had made because he had actually been an apprentice forester. And so he made all these forest scenes with these animals. And it's kind of an interesting thing where you have pictures first, and then someone else comes in, and creates a story to go with the pictures.
1: Yeah, it's a very unusual uh, inspiration, I think, for opera. Because a lot of operas are from Greek myths and legends or from ancient times. It's, it's fascinating as a background concept, I think. Right.
0: And, and it was very popular, serialized in this local newspaper. Mm-hmm. So popular that it then becomes this novella that you mentioned. Which, which in turn Janacek... Took us as inspiration,
1: yeah. Interesting to have animals as the protagonists as well because it's not that usual in operas. There's a few,
0: like Magic Flute, I suppose. Well, yeah, I mean, they're... Not the leading characters, yeah, <laughs> Papageno and Papagena. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think. Of, there's the, the
1: bird. There's a there's a wood bird, isn't there? in The Ring Cycle of tenuous. Sometimes not even seen, just heard. Teneus. tenuous. <laughs> the, the only equivalent opera that I can think of is the Ravel, which is also quite a short, similar opera, the Enfant de la Sortilege, and there's actual animal characters in that. They have personalities. I think it's interesting. These in this, it's they aren't just as animals. They're they're personified, aren't
0: they? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, it's fascinating. And this story, this novel that was created to go with these pictures, it's the most popular thing that this author, who was already a popular author at the time, poetry and and other sorts of writings, it's the most popular thing in his entire set of work. And it's, it's a work in Czech that is published to this day. In fact, I poked around and in the mid-80s, there was a version of it that was published in English and in Czech with illustrations. This is kind of funny. The illustrations by Maurice Sendak. Oh, wow. Famous artist of illustrator who, who does children's works as well, replacing the original illustrations that were made that inspired the whole thing to begin with.
1: Well, he Maurice Sendak had quite an opera connection, didn't he? Because he did yes. um, sets for the Met and places to the uh, yeah. I think I've got yeah. a book with the, um, I'm sure he did the magic
0: flute. I've seen illustrations of the magic flute. All these different connections mm. with these characters. But this author, Teshnov Lidek, did not write the libretto. He, other than having provided the source material by writing the original story and the novel, he did try to write a song uh, to give to Janáček, but Janáček just used, a small number of lines from that in one of his songs. And that was kind of it. He just said, thanks, thanks so much, bye-bye. He got a certain, I think, 10% of the royalties of the Czech language productions, and that was it. That
1: was it. So it was a jumping-off point as opposed to a collaboration, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And Mm -hmm. Janáček sticks pretty closely to the story for the first two acts of the three-act show, and then there's a little bit more of Janáček's own imaginings of where the story might go. Right. But that seems in keeping with the way the story started anyway, that these yeah. characters, you you get to imagine what is going to happen with them. So as I mentioned, when we first started, this premieres in Borno in 1924. The next year, it premieres in Prague. Two years later, it has in Mainz a premiere in German, which is not very successful. There were some changes made and and those weren't necessarily for the better. But Considerably later, in 1956, in the comic opera in Berlin, there were further changes made to to fix up the German language production, and that's when it really becomes an internationally accepted opera in the repertoire. And to this day, it it pops up with some regularity.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would, it, and it's also often considered a children's opera. If you're going to introduce children to opera, it's one of the ones, isn't it, that people sort of suggest, which is interesting because the story is quite hard-hitting
0: but yeah it's... I'm not sure it would be on my list of suggestions for no. children but <laughs>
1: I've seen it programmed as for children not yeah. a children's opera but sort of a it, it's sort of programmed in the morning or as a matinee with with families in mind
0: yeah and and to that point one of the things that sort of marks the operas that are more geared towards children I'm saying this as an English language speaker is that it will be more regularly translated yeah. than, for instance, Janáček's other operas. We're, in fact, going to be using a CD from the Royal Opera House, and they did it in English. Yeah. So the singers are singing in English, not in Czech. And that that's more common for operas that are hoping to present to a wider range of ages uh, to be more child-friendly. But this is, I mean, it does deal with some difficult life cycle issues.
1: yeah. I wonder if including the animals is an
0: obvious leap to it for it to be suitable for children. I think so. And Mm. some of those animal costumes can be quite cute. Yeah. Right? You have a a vixen as your main character, your protagonist, and all those insects and, you know, the fox himself and and all those hens. And it's just, it it is delightful. But there are some other things going on as well. Yeah. (laughs) So... Maybe we should meet the forester, who is another main character in the story. And he's our first human, isn't he? Yes, he is.
1: When the forester arrives, he's talking about how much he loves his wife and how amazing his wife is. And isn't she wonderful?
0: That's true. But he also has some reservations about his relationship with his wife. Because at the end of the day, he decides to take a nap because he knows he can tell his wife stories about what he's been doing. This is true. <laughs> and and he snuggles up to sleep with the thing he truly loves this is his gun <laughs> which is his gun so it's it's interesting he expresses love for his wife but there are some qualifications there <laughs> complicated relationship
3: To be a storm soon. I'll sit here and rest a minute. I can tell the missus. I've been out all night chasing poachers.
0: Well, the forester has snuggled down with his rifle to have a good little nap and while he's sleeping the animals and the insects reappear they do and this is when I, I love this bit this is the
1: cricket and the caterpillar they put on a little concert for all the animals and they sing a song it reminds me of um do you know the ugly ugly bug ball was a
0: song about the ugly bugs. Tell us about the ugly bug ball.
1: It's from the 50s. I think it's an American song. It's from, it's like Tim Pan Alley. <laughs> And it's it's just really, really silly. And it, this is a similar thing with all the insects dancing.
0: Well, uh, except they're yeah. not ugly, are they? No, <laughs> no,
1: no, 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 no. No, but it's, but, but they are bugs. <laughs> they are definitely they bugs. Are Crickets, caterpillars,
0: mosquitoes, and a frog. And a frog. And yeah. then a little vixen cub runs <gasps> in. This is true. This is our vixen as a cub coming in and well like a pup really just all excited chasing the frog playful and like mommy 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 can I eat this what's this (laughs) just you know how a puppy can be (laughs) yeah all of that motion and excitement, it's really not so good for the Forester's nap.
1: Yes, I think the inevitable happens, doesn't it? The, the Vixen chases the frog, and then the frog disrupts the Forester.
0: Yeah, and when the Forester wakes up, he doesn't even notice insects and little things. Mm-hmm. But a Vixen cub mm-hmm. gets his attention. Uh, well, yeah, the
1: all the insects disappear because... They're tiny compared to the forester, but the forester falls, sees sees the vixen and decides he wants to take her home as a pet.
0: Yeah. And right then, you know, this is probably not a good idea. (laughs)
1: And it also, this is the beginning of the. Is this suitable for children?
0: (laughs) Right? Don't take wild animals home as pets. Yeah. Definitely don't do this at home, kids, isn't it? (laughs) Honestly, honestly. But he just scoops her up in his arms. And then we have A Little Interviewed. Is the first scene in The Cunning Little Vixen by Leo Janáček. Rosie, she has been captured. She has. The forester has
1: taken her home, tied her up, and she's stuck in the yard now.
0: Well, before we meet her in the yard, I want to share with you something I found that the author, Rudolf Teshnov lidek the one who wrote this novel that was the inspiration for Janáček, that he wrote about his meeting with Janáček when Janáček was inspired to write this opera based on this story. And, and I think it's just a lovely little recounting. He wrote this and it was published in the newspaper in the months prior to the premiere of this opera. He was writing about the vixen. He says, I don't know why people liked her so much. Perhaps it was because she moved close to the ground. But I didn't suspect that she had a diligent reader and admirer in a man with silver hair and sparkling eyes. Isn't that a nice description yeah. for Check. He said, I know him only at a distance since he's a musician and I don't understand much about music. But suddenly I heard that, and I, I'm so sorry, I cannot pronounce the check of this character. <laughs> I'll just say the Vixen. <laughs> suddenly I heard that Vixen's sharp ears had bewitched him and that he wanted to describe her frequently trivial words and even more trivial actions in the language of notes, which of all human things is the least earthbound.
1: Oh, that's lovely.
0: Isn't that Ooh, beautiful? Yeah. When I read something like that, I think, oh, I see why they wanted his writing to be what represented these beloved yeah. drawings. Which That's just
1: wonderful. It. It reminds me of Schopenhauer, the uh, philosophy of aesthetics, where he talks about the, all the different arts, the art forms, and how music is, because it is the least representative, it's therefore the, the closest, it's the, the the most, I don't know, important, but it was it was the one that he celebrated the most. There's a, an amazing quote, which is, yeah, I've got it. The effect of music is so very much more powerful and penetrating than is that of the other arts. For these others speak only of the shadow, but music of the essence.
0: Oh, Rosie. Well, here I was, being so proud of myself, having found this quote from the author, and, and you've one-upped me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and here you remind me that you're not only a trained artist and illustrator, but you've got quite a background in music.
1: Yes, yeah. I studied music at Durham University, and one of the modules I did was on the aesthetics of music. We studied Theodore Adorno, who talks about all, all the arts, but with specifically to do with music. And that, of all of the course, that was certainly my favourite part of it. I thought it was absolutely fascinating.
0: Oh, it's spectacular. Well, it I think it really gets to the heart of... What moves us about opera as well? Yeah, 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 yeah. There, it's it's not just that it enhances the words, but it 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 pulls out so much more. I mean, here I am trying to put words to something that words can't express.
1: And it's one one of the art forms that pulls in the most genres, doesn't it? If you think there's fashion, there's music, there's art, dance. It's one of one of
0: the most collaborative Absolutely. art forms. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, Rosie, that's why we love opera, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All these things. Well, thank you for finding that insight from Schopenhauer. And I'm glad I found that explanation from the author, who who was clearly very proud to have his work brought to the operatic stage by Janáček. And the article he writes for the newspaper that I've just read from, is just, it's such a beautiful appreciation of Janáček and and such a nice illustration for us to know why Janáček was was moved by these characters because he clearly expresses himself so well in addition to the moving power of these illustrations again Mm. a a compilation of all these arts
1: yeah yeah absolutely fantastic yeah Mm
0: for everyone and we've just heard a little bit of a prelude between scenes in act 1 but rosie before we continue i just want to share with you a little bit more from this article that the author tesnovlidek wrote about first meeting janacek he writes about encountering janacek in a conservatory in a garden yeah and he says that janacek sat among the bushes with thousands of tiny little blossoms above his head mm and his hair was white, and he seemed to be the largest of the flowers. He smiled, and I knew at once that this was the smile which life awards us, like a gold medal for bravery in the face of the enemy. He, there's wow. such affection here.
1: It is. It's, it, it, that's what I, that's what I was going to say,
0: it's not just respect, it's affection, isn't it? It's wonderful. Yes, and he says, he, he, he goes on, at that moment I believed that the vixen was sitting, tamed and quite overcome by the kindliness of the man in this tiny garden and that she unseen would draw near and sit at our feet and listen to our conspiracy. Janeczek made a few remarks about the story and then began talking about his forests which I didn't know, and about his studies of bird noises. And I became aware that he had succeeded in knowing the happiness of a smile. Oh, yeah, that's marvellous. It's lovely. It's so well put. Mm. And it's also just a little glimpse into the fact that Janáček had a history of being out in nature and paying attention to the natural sound so it wasn't it wasn't just oh this cute little and it also is not a cynical
1: move is it a lot of composers you find out why did they go for that and it was because that they did it for the money and to think that it's not is wonderful that it was a, that he was drawn to it
0: well one of the things about Janáček is that he came to composing comparatively mm. late in his life yeah he had had a long career as an instructor in music before he before he even composed Mm -hmm. any works that were produced on the stage so I think he he did what he wanted to do all right but we need to get back to the home of the forester Mm -hmm. and check in on our vixen and see how she's doing
1: so she's she's stuck in the yard and she's not having a very good time and there's now another character included who is Mm. the dog (laughs)
0: <laughs> because of course there's a family dog yeah
1: and the dog doesn't sound particularly good good company for the vixen she's not happy about
0: his presence at all but it's what she's got mm-hmm. yeah they're they're kind of commiserating together even before we hear the interaction with the vixen and the dog our first introduction to her relationship to the wife of the forester yeah is one That lets us know that the wife of the Forester is not happy about the Vixen's presence.
1: Yeah, the Forester's wife is definitely not a fan of the Vixen.
0: No. You can see the affection from the Forester towards the Vixen. Yeah. That's clear. But the wife, not so much. And the dog (laughs) just says, uh, you're going about it all wrong. Stop moaning. Stop complaining. Be more like a dog. (laughs) 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 Yeah. And they immediately fall to commiserating with each other about being separated from ones like themselves and not knowing love. Yeah. The dog is very sad about that. Yeah. And the vixen says, well, she doesn't know love, but she's been out in the world and she's observed it. Before she lived with the forester, she had seen other animals in love. And she shares that with us a little bit. Oh, oh, oh,
3: I'm just filled with
2: suffering
3: Every evening I sing sad
2: songs
0: to Opera for Everyone. And this is an opera by Leo Sianacek, the cunning little vixen. And that was the vixen herself, letting us know she knows a little bit more about the world than the family dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And into the yard come the two children of the family. Mm-hmm. And they're not so nice. They're kind of excited to see her, but not because they want to be friendly with her, which is what the Forester seemed to have in mind when he was excited to bring the Vixen home to the family.
1: Yeah, the Forester's intentions seem a lot gentler and, and kinder and more at, at one with nature, don't they? I think the little children are that kind of cliche, horrible, nasty little boys.
0: They, they, they have sticks and they use them to taunt yeah. her and poke at her. And, well, we might talk later about the Forester's intentions because as it moves on... It, the adults in the room may begin to wonder what his intentions actually are towards this towards this fox. I'm, she might be a symbol of something else in his less than ideal marriage, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Don't know. But anyway, back to the children. They're not nice to her. They're poking her with the sticks. They're taunting her. And they do, in fact, get a reaction. And it's a stronger reaction than they might get from the domesticated dog. Uh-huh. Yeah. And when they get that stronger reaction... Of course, they yell for their mother. Mm -hmm. And of course, the mother, who has never liked this this vixen being in the family, she's like, well, I should have had a muff made out of her long ago. And she just tells her husband, shoot the vixen, shoot her. Which he doesn't do because the forester has a deeper connection
1: with the vixen. And we're not quite sure why or what that means. But he doesn't want to hurt her. But he agrees for probably purposes of domestic bliss that he will restrain her so he puts a rope around her neck so she's stuck in the yard and she chews against the rope for a moment or two and then sort of just gives up and goes to sleep so she's her
0: imprisonment now is is certain (laughs) she's got a rope and the poor vixen at this point who is captive in this domesticated scene in a place she truly doesn't belong and she knows it she cries herself to sleep And we have another one of these interludes. And you'll hear her wail at one point in this interlude. But there's a little bit more that I'd like to just share about these interludes. Aside from the opera itself, these interludes were beloved by the listening audience. So much so that Janáček's publisher proposed to Janáček, please take these interludes along with your prelude and and could you stitch them together, and make them into a concert piece. And they proposed to him that he he would do very well if he could do this, but... He didn't want to? No, he didn't want to. In a letter to the publisher, when Janáček declined, he says, Well, thank you, but the much-praised interludes belong to this work. They would not work on their own. They are too short. That's that.
1: Wow. That shows a real integrity to his work, doesn't it? That that he would not want it to be extracted and taken into a form that wouldn't be understood in the context in which it was
0: originally created. Right. Now, of course, in 1937, a different person arranged it together and it, it it did become a suite to be performed in concert. But interesting that very early on this was proposed to him and he rejected it. He rejected the idea, yeah.
1: This was composed in 1924, wasn't it? So it would have been quite popular to have those kind of...
0: Well, it, it was composed... He started composing it in 22,
1: but it was premiered. It was premiered in 24. Yeah. Four, yeah. It's funny to think it was the same time as something like Turandot. They seem so different, don't they? they they're sort of... How huge something like Turandot is. And this, this seems so, I don't know, contained.
0: It's a very different style. Mm. The style that he uses, speech melody is what it's called. Mm-hmm. that's not a style that Puccini is using. This style of composing that Janáček is using, not the, at all the same as the Italian style of Puccini. Yeah. Yes, it's different.
1: They're very, very different. And this this is much more sort of references folk, the folk music of what was then Czechoslovakia. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Very self-consciously. Yes, the, the folk music is, is straight through all of this. Yeah. Whereas something like Turndot is is meant to be grand and imposing. This is meant to be, uh, you know, smaller and more engaging. But but don't, anyone listening, do not mistake that for a lack of profundity. Mm -hmm. This opera, I think as much as any opera, you will be rewarded for spending time with it. There is a lot that he is playing around with in terms of ideas here. He takes a lot from the original author but the work that he does in the third act which is all of his own yeah where he takes the basis that is built from the original work in act 1 and act 2 that is Janacek himself and the things that he was really musing with in fact i'll just take a moment to talk about Kamila stoslova his longtime muse correspondent this is this woman, who, this married woman, who was 38 years younger than he was, that he wrote, oh my goodness, over 700 letters to her. Wow. And she encourages him in his art. And he writes to her as dear soul. I am mean, she, she, it was not a, a romantic relationship in that it was consummated as a romantic relationship, but he, he clearly felt very passionately about her she, she was a muse. She was his muse. And he yeah. writes to her his dear soul in there, are these letters. There's one time when he tells her she sits upon every note that he writes. But, but in terms of his composing this particular opera, he doesn't write a whole lot to her about it. But one of the things he says to her is, I have begun writing Vixen Sharp Ears, which is what he's always called it, yeah. based on the original title of the book. He says, it is a merry thing with a sad end. Not so yeah. the original work by the author, but it is true with the opera. It is a merry thing with a sad end, and I am taking up a place at that end myself. Oh, wow. Well, he's just around 70 as he's writing this. And so yeah. he's he's thinking of this being towards the end of his life as he's composing this. and yeah. And we can return to this thought as we get towards the end of the opera, but it is very much top of mind for him and a consciousness of life cycles of,
1: yes. of youth and yeah, yeah, cycle of life,
0: yeah. Yes, cycle of life. Mm. Hold on to that mm. idea; uh-huh. it is very mm-hmm. much here, and and nature's cycles. So now let's hear this interlude as our vixen, who is tied up, cries herself to sleep, and she, in fact, will imagine herself as a young vixen cub during this time when she is sleeping. During the interlude, our vixen has slept, dawn has broken, time to wake up, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know how you know it's time to wake up? Well, you hear the rooster. Of course you do.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Another wonderful character that is introduced alongside his, what? what's the... His harem, perhaps? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, what's the collective noun for hens? It would be a coop, wouldn't it? A coop
0: of hens? Perhaps. I don't know. Maybe. I, maybe. I, was not raised on a farm.
1: (laughs) Nor was I. But one doesn't need to grow up on a farm to know that hens and foxes don't necessarily go too well together.
0: (laughs) Yes, the proverbial fox in the hen house, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But she's not instantly threatening, is she?
1: No, and she's certainly not One's expectations of the way a fox would behave towards hens is not—it's not necessarily to get political, and that's
0: what she does.
1: Yeah, she tries to persuade the hens that that they should feel more empowered and that they should should take a bid for freedom and that that they shouldn't just accept their lot as as it is. They're all rather confused.
0: She tries to instigate rebellion of the hens against the roosters sisters, comrades, she calls them. (laughs) He's exploiting your labor. And you think, oh my goodness, have I just stepped into a political tract here?
1: It it reminded me of Animal Farm, isn't it? The Orwellian side of things. Yeah, except it
0: doesn't doesn't, uh, sustain that effort.
1: (laughs) It's very brief. (laughs) No, 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 it's sort of... Skirt through the concept of it. You're just egg making machines.
0: <laughs> yes, build a better world where we can all be equal, sharing everything together. But yeah. but this speech is very short-lived. Because the hens are confused. You don't get the sense that the hens are deep thinkers.
1: Well, this is it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 It's, too, it's too much for them. They, they like things as they are.
0: They do follow the orders of the rooster, honestly. Yeah. yeah. But then the rooster says... Don't be fooled, she's not yeah. really on your side, ladies. No. <laughs> I mean, he might not be either, but she's not on your side at,
1: at least he doesn't want to eat them <laughs> right exactly <laughs> exactly. He might be exploiting them, but at least he doesn't want to eat
0: them right, right, and then and then she she's like, "Well, I can't stand it. you're all too stupid for me, and she pretends to kill herself, yeah,
1: well and they start to investigate
0: because that's what hens and roosters will yeah. do curiously you can yeah. just picture the cocked heads looking like yeah. what 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 what, what, what? <laughs>
1: and she's she's playing dead and they're getting closer and closer in mm,
0: not a good idea uh-uh. and then the feathers fly yeah yeah and it's feathers and bodies everywhere and by the way just a moment to make a comment on casting the version i saw had what I would consider ordinary singers here, being the rooster and the hens. But I read in one of Janicek's letters that to emphasize the point, the naivete of these hens and even the rooster and the dog for that matter, he wanted young children playing the parts of the hens and he wanted the rooster as well as a dog to be played yeah. by girls no older than 15 years old which I thought was very interesting
1: is it specifically for their voice or is it for the power factor of? yeah so it's, it's about the voice but it's also difference in the sort of power yes and height yes on stage yeah yeah it's
0: yeah. because exactly it's it's to make them smaller and less imposing and able to be dominated. I mean, the the Vixen herself is not that large, but you need to make sure that, you know, you don't want a big man playing the rooster and you want the hens, all these little chickens all over the place. You want them to look diminutive.
1: Yeah, yeah. The production I saw, they were children as well.
0: The production I saw, they weren't. They were Mm. were women. But, I mean, they were looking dopey, but... Costuming can help with that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, there there are a bunch of uh, dead poultry on the ground. Mm-hmm. and
1: The ine- inevitable has happened. Yes,
0: and of course, the next inevitable is that the wife comes in, who already was pretty angry. Yeah, at the vixen, and she's like, "Okay, husband of mine, this is it. Yeah, I told you before you needed to kill her. Get your shotgun and kill her now."
1: At the point that you expect the forester to shoot, she manages to break free of her rope.
0: Because she's a cunning little vixen.
1: Exactly. (laughs) And this is the moment that she escapes back to the forest.
0: Yes. When it really is important, she has the ability to break free. Mm -hmm. And she's over the fence and out of the backyard. And the dog can just look at her and go, well, I guess she's not a dog. (laughs) (laughs) And she's gone, and that is the end of the first act. Dapper for everyone, and our cunning little vixen has bitten through the rope and knocked over the forester, escaped from his home, and dashed off into the woods, ending the first act. And now we have a little bit of the prelude to act two. <laughs>
1: We are now back in the forest. The vixen has escaped and she is enjoying her freedom once more, which is rather lovely. Right, she has freedom, but she no longer has a place to live. But she's a fox, so she's quite cunning. And therefore, she does. <laughs> it doesn't take her long to resolve this situation. And this is when she finds the badger set and she decides that that would be a suitable home for her. So she evicts him and takes over his house as her own yes and her method of eviction is is intriguing yeah she claims that the badger's den is hers and takes it over
0: but the badger disagrees vociferously Uh (laughs) he calls her nasty and flea-bitten and he calls her a vagabond and she and and her insect friends call him a capitalist there we go a little bit of that political Ah, commentary again and she ends up befouling his home uh-huh. in a very earthy, fox-like way. Right. <laughs> and he is decidedly unhappy with that. And the haughty badger, dare I say the sanctimonious badger, uh-huh. says, well, this is no longer fit for a gentleman. And he decamps, leaving it for... The vixen. Vixen. And she's very happy. That's very clever. Well, yeah. She's a cunning little Mm -hmm. vixen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this is a good time to mention that the the sanctimonious badger is one of several roles, and, and some would say the most successfully doubled role in this show. Yeah. Because this performer who plays the role of the badger is not only the badger, he's also the priest. Yes, we have not yet met the priest, yeah. but we will very shortly in the next scene.
1: And visually, there's something quite interesting, isn't it? Because the dog collar with the, the black and white and the black and white. So there's probably an overlap with the costume, I would imagine.
0: Yeah, and I don't know that everyone's familiar with that phrase, the dog collar, being other than something a dog actually wears.
1: Oh, oh, right. Okay, yes, yeah. Vickers and priests, the, the white collar. That's yeah his name, is dog that color. that
0: ecclesiastical collar uh-huh. is sometimes referred to <laughs> as a dog color, collar, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so this badger it has almost priestly airs mm-hmm. to him as portrayed in this show, and pretty soon we're going to see him in the role of the priest as the priest you know it's it's funny to have this badger here i i do you know anything about the personality of badgers, or have you ever seen a badger portrayed in a in an opera or a show or a story before? Well, in in animal terms, I'm not sure. In terms, of, I think I don't
1: think they're given a bit <laughs> of. A, they're not given a very fair rep. But in literary terms, there's also the character of the badger in Kenneth Graham's Wind in the Willows, and it's a similar oh. portrayal of the sort of slightly elderly, grumpy old man. And I think it's that that seems to be how people. Maybe it's their appearance. There's something they've got the sort of eyebrows, and there's something sort of slightly. Well,
0: I mean, all badgers can't be elderly. That just doesn't figure. But
1: I think their faces (laughs) look slightly like old men. So there's something about the way their faces are constructed that they look like they've got mad old eyebrows, like
0: cantankerous old men. The old eyebrows, the crazy, interesting, like they're judging us. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Expressive eyebrows, Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, but he does get pushed around by the vixen. She yeah. gets her way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she and she's very happy in that snug little den of hers. Mm-hmm. Well, she makes herself comfortable. She's got a home and she's going to brag about it later on mm-hmm. in the show. But we get another one of our beautiful interludes. And that's going to finish off our first half of the show, and we'll be back for the second half.
2: <coughs> oh. Just who do you think you are?
0: You're listening to Opera for Everyone, a radio show and podcast that makes opera understandable, accessible, and enjoyable for everyone. It airs Sundays from 9 to 11 a.m. Mountain Time on 89.1 KHOL in Jackson, Wyoming. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the Opera for Everyone podcast, where you can find a rich trove of past episodes. I'm your host, Pat Wright, joined by special guest co-host Rosie Brooks. Stay with us. The second half of today's show is coming right up. Welcome back to the second half of Opera for Everyone. I'm your host, Pat Wright, and I'm joined today by Rosie Brooks. Hi, Rosie. Hello I'm so glad you're here to help with Cunning Little Vixen by Leo Janáček. What a fun, deceptively profound show this is.
1: It is isn't it? It starts you think it's got sort of one layer, and was, the more the more we've got into it, the more there is, I think
0: there is a lot here it's it's not just about nature and people and their interaction it's about the cycles of life the relationship of people and animals and children and parents and love and romance and lust and good and evil and uh, it's just and it, it you'll see different elements depending on what production you see or what performers are performing yeah. it it's it's a remarkable show
1: and where what position you're coming from i it's interesting that it's sometimes presented as a children's opera or suitable for children because really it, in terms of the content it doesn't seem remotely suitable but it can be presented <laughs> in such a way that's yes. that, because of the animal factor i think that, that right well children.
0: i mean it it's sort of like you wonder sometimes if animal documentaries are suitable for children yeah. in that earthy sort of way, right? Exactly.
1: Or <laughs> other operas that Magic Flute is presented as a possibility, where really, if you dial down <laughs> into the plot of that, it's not exactly appropriate. So, That's
0: <laughs> oh, a good point, too. It's a good point, too. Well, we've come to the point in the show where we would like to give our sincere thanks to all the people involved in making this wonderful CD that we're listening to today. So I would like to say thank you to the Royal Opera House Covent Garden Orchestra under the direction of Sir Simon Rattle, who played the music for this CD. And I would like to thank the Royal Opera House Chorus Covent Garden, who were under the direction of Chorus Master Robin Stapleton. And Rosie's going to tell us who the singers were on today's CD.
1: Vixen Sharp Ears is played by Lillian Watson, the forester, Sir Thomas Allen. The forester's wife is Gillian Knight. The fox is played by Diana Montague. The badger and also the priest is the bass Gwyn Howell. And the poacher, who's also a poultry dealer, is by Nicholas Fulwell. The schoolmaster is Robert Tear. The dog is played by Karen Shelby. And the rooster by Mary King.
0: Thank you one and all for making this beautiful music for us to listen to. And now, Rosie, it's opera helmet quiz time. Yay! Yeah. (laughs) I will review very quickly how this opera came into being because it has a a bit of an unusual genesis. But can you just bring us up to date quickly on the plot?
1: So we are now in the Badger set that the Vixen has taken over. But if we wind back, um, starting at the very beginning, we begin, it's a lazy summer afternoon, the badger is dozing by the sunshine. I have got notes. That's cheating, isn't it? Or is it not cheating? Am I allowed to do it from the notes? <laughs> it's a lazy summer afternoon. The badger's dozing. but gets interrupted by lots of horrible insects. While he's sleeping, the cricket and the caterpillar do a little concert for everyone. And then the, the insects wake up the forester. Yes. Yeah. Um, who, who has been singing how much he loves his wife, but he also loves his gun, and he loves his gun a little bit more than his wife. And it's <laughs> at this point that he spots the vixen, who he takes a shot to, and he decides yes. he wants to collect the vixen as a pet. So, she's just a little cub. Yeah. So he captures her and takes her back to his house with his family. And his wife isn't particularly impressed because it's a little bit of a strange thing to do, but nonetheless, she's plonked into the yard with the family dog Mm -hmm. and there she remains with the dog sort of mildly annoying her so so she's stuck in the yard with this rather boring dog and the forester's horrible children come and poke her with sticks so she decides well she doesn't decide but because she's a fox her natural instincts kick in and she bites one of the little boys on the leg quite reasonably Um, and the (laughs) forester's wife thinks she's hideous but again calls out for that she should be tied up so the Forrester puts a, a rope around her neck to make sure that she doesn't cause any more trouble. And this mm. winds her up even more. So she then moves on to the hens, who she can't believe are so stupid that all they do is lay eggs.
0: Well, she's she's a wild animal and she simply yeah. doesn't understand these domestic yeah. creatures. Yeah. They just don't make sense to her.
1: Yeah. Um, so she she tries to explain to them that there's another way, but they don't have any. Mm. They don't take any notice. Mm -hmm. so she plays dead and all the hens come over (laughs) to investigate what's going on and then once again her fox-like instincts kick in and she does what foxes do in a hen coop yes yes. it doesn't end well for them exactly, the forester's wife comes out to find out what's what's going on and is horrified, the forester chases after the, the vixen but this is the moment that she makes her bid for freedom and out into the forest she goes. And that brings us up to the beginning of act
0: two. Yes, it almost feels like we've got a full story there, right? Mm. We start in the forest and now we're back in the forest, but, but there's a lot more story to mm-hmm. transpire. We've got two more acts or we, we've just begun act two. But to remind you, this is a three-act opera and these first two acts will come right from this set of stories that were the novel that Teshnovidak wrote at the behest of the newspaper publisher in berno in czechoslovakia of the time had found these beautiful these beautiful illustrations about this vixen in the forest and he he commissioned teshnovlydek to create the story to accompany these these illustrations mm-hmm. that really captivated the readers in these episodic publications in the newspaper. Among the people who were captivated was Janáček. Now it was much easier once his book was published in the compiled form and he did use the book. But I mean, Rosie, you must relate to this as an illustrator yourself.
1: Yeah, it was wonderful when I started to do a little bit of research to find the original Fox drawings. They're absolutely stunning. And he's, I think the illustrators held in quite high esteem. In the Czech Republic, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely wonderful. And it's interesting that there was an animated version that I watched on YouTube, and they talked at the beginning how it had almost come full circle, but it had been, you know, originally from the illustrations, then to the opera, and then it was being put back into its original sort of format, which is quite nice.
0: It's a fascinating story how all of these different arts feed into each other, and and in a way, it it's a natural that it becomes an opera, which is a compilation of so many elements of art. Yeah,
1: yeah, and also it's because they're they're animals, but they're also sort of slight metaphors. Illustration works very well because it's not the things aren't literal. You can you can bend things with illustration. It doesn't have to be observational. It's it's taking liberties with with the visual narrative. Is it a,
0: that's a great point isn't it it yeah i i think so we have these animals who are the the vixen herself and and others who are anthropomorphized to some degree because they're speaking they're singing and they're they're living lives but they're not completely humanized they still behave yeah the fox still kills the hens (laughs) the fox still kills the hens she's different from the dog yeah she's a wild animal she's not a domesticated animal. She's not like the people. And when we see some of these other episodes further on in the story, there's there's some things that are like what people do. For instance, she's going to get married later on.
1: Spoiler! <laughs> which is not something that, yeah, which is something the humans
0: do. <laughs> right, they're going to, quote unquote, call the call the pastor, call the priest. Yeah. But there's going to be other behavior that's more familiar to the animal kingdom than the human world. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an interesting mix of the behavior. And, and the episodic nature of the telling of this story is in keeping with the episodic nature of these illustrations and how this story was put out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we've mentioned before, and we'll come back to it when we get to the third act, that the third act is not part of the original story that the author wrote to accompany these illustrations. It is Janáček's own invention, because Janáček is, in fact, the librettist.
1: Which is really unusual for operas, isn't it? It's not.
0: Um, It happens, it happens. Oftentimes, well, for instance, Wagner liked to be his own librettist, or sometimes composers will craft their own libretto from an existing literary work, but they'll do it start to finish and take from that literary work. What's unusual here is that he takes it up to a point, but then he finishes the story and changes the nature of the ending. He yeah. doesn't keep it a sweet little ending. As we mentioned before, when he's writing to his muse, his pen pal, Camilla, he, he says it, it has a sad end. And he does talk about this cycle of life, this ending of things, and that he's coming to his own end. Well, let's get back to, to our story. We have another little interlude, and we're, we're going to leave the forest for a while, and we're going to go to the world of men, and we're going to meet three men right now. It almost sounds like the beginning of a joke. <laughs>
1: yes, yeah, th- three men walk into a bar, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, three men walk into a bar, exactly. <laughs> we,
0: we have a forester, a schoolmaster, and a priest. And they're all in the local inn. Fantastic. Drinking, And they've been drinking for a while, I think, when we meet them. Right. And they're talking about past loves and... Yeah, and unlike a lot of operas, we don't get a rousing drinking song here. Oh, yeah. No. No, no. no. It's not that kind of opera. Remember, we were, yeah. we were comparing it before to the, the big operas.
1: Yeah, there's no parties, are there? There's normally a party. No,
0: this is a smaller opera. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a more intimate show. And in this bar with these three characters they're talking about what's on their mind in their somewhat inebriated state. Mm-hmm. It's late. They've had a few.
1: The forest is teasing the schoolmaster about his hopeless passion for his old girlfriend, Tarinka. But the yeah. schoolmaster, in retaliation, reminds him of the vixen that he could never tame. So, which is an interesting idea, because yeah, are they talking about...
0: I know. Mm. What's, what's, what's behind all that, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> does, is, does the vixen represent... Someone, mm. or it's a, it's a grey area without it being weird, which is 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 an interesting.
0: Well, and and when he when he brings up the vixen, the forester gets angry. It's, yeah. He's touched a nerve when he brings yeah. her up. It's it's quite interesting that, and it's also interesting that the forester has chosen to tease the schoolmaster about this old love Tarinka because the schoolmaster is on the eve of getting married to a different woman.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And meanwhile, there's the priest. And the priest is getting ready to depart. He's moving to a new parish. Right. Hoping that things will be nice in his new parish. Hoping that things will be better. So they're all in transition. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's nobody seems entirely content with how things are. Nobody seems hugely upset either. It's just another night at the pub, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We have an innkeeper who comes in to Move them along, good night, closing time boys. Yeah. But even as even as the innkeeper is shooing the last of them out, the forester, he also brings up the the topic of the vixen. It's well known around town, the forester's infatuation with the vixen. He touches that same raw nerve again when he brings up the vixen. And the forester's angry once again. That's the end of it. I'm fed up with it all. And the night of fun
1: yeah. is over. This is often how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> One shandy too many. <laughs> <laughs> and our three boys have to get home. Yeah. i have called last orders and it's time for them to leave. In the
3: sweat of thy brow shalt thou eat bread. Not a word about drunkenness. No, sir. He never said there was anything wrong in drinking ale. But women think they know more than God Himself. Bravo. That's right. Therefore, Mr. Pa, one more beer, please. You caught a beer. That's right. Come on now and tell me all about it. And
0: a little interlude takes us out into the night as our gentlemen make their way home. he doesn't look so good.
1: The schoolmaster's had possibly one pint too many.
0: Well, he thinks something's wrong with his equilibrium.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Tired and emotional is what we'd say. (laughs) Yes,
0: yes. And this is the man who's about to get married. But we don't hear him talking about his bride-to-be. Suddenly, we hear him bring up that name again. This is a woman we do not ever see in the opera.
1: This is Tarinka, the the name that came up in the difference of opinion earlier.
0: Yes, and you can tell he's completely infatuated with her. And he's not really seeing her, but he believes he's seeing her in his inebriated state. And the libretto will tell us, and most of the stagings will show us, he's seeing a sunflower and he thinks it's Tarinka. Uh And he says, oh, if only I'd known you were here, I would have left my drunken friends sooner. Oh, Tarinka, do you love me? Do you love me? Oh, and he follows Tarinka. Turns out it's the vixen who's making this flower mm-hmm. animate. Mm-hmm. That cunning little vixen.
3: But you really see, I've loved you all my life. But destiny calls to us. I beg you. She wants me to join I can live in happiness.
0: As the schoolmaster has gone off chasing this animated sunflower, we see the priest come onto the stage. And the priest is trying to pull himself together. He of course has been drinking with his friends too
1: well the, the priest is not dissimilar to the badger is he that's a that.
0: <laughs> as noted previously yeah
1: um, and so he wants to obviously present appropriately as he should but he too has not skeletons in the closet but he certainly he has a past that he is reflecting on now that the, the evening's obviously triggered quite a lot yes. of nostalgia for the gentleman put yes. it that way
0: he's reflecting on a woman
1: it's another lost love, isn't
0: it? <laughs> yes, and guess what? It is that same lost love. It is also Tarenka that he is reflecting upon. Mm-hmm.
3: To be a good man. Bless me Which of these classics is that for all? Pipe won't light Back when I was just a student, I sat here just like this.
2: That girl, her yellow
3: hair was alike, a ray of light. She gazed at me with such eager sense, clean and childlike.
2: Now I
3: But then it finished, badly.
0: And off stage, the Forester will be heard. There she is! And you know he's chasing after the vixen, his obsession. And he's looking for her, and as he's yelling, the other two men find each other, and they do not want the Forester to see them as they feel shame for the way they've been behaving. And say they manage to avoid the Forester. Mm -hmm. And the Forester, in his desperation and determination, shouts, sharp ears, which is vixen sharp ears, what he calls her, and he shoots his gun, aiming at her. He doesn't hit her, don't worry. She's safe, another interlude, change of scene. Now after that a little interlude we find the vixen and she sees another one of her species
1: in the silvery moonlight yes and she thinks he's rather handsome she thinks he's rather rather, rather lovely and he thinks she's rather lovely too
0: mhm and he's quite charming mm-hmm. he's a he's a sweet talker actually
1: almost too charming <laughs>
0: well he says <laughs> He says, ah, I think I could catch one of those birds. (laughs) He wants to impress her with his prowess. And then he says, well, you know, if you're out in the forest, perhaps I could walk with you. You know, there are hunters out here. I could protect you. But does she need his protection?
1: Well, as the cunning little vixen, she's already expressed her independence and Mm -hmm. her ability to survive. and. She shows this by explaining
0: her, her backstory. He even tries to find out more about her. Like, well, well, what does your mother think? Well, I don't have a mother. In fact, I own my own house. Which is pretty impressive. Right? And part of her backstory is she lived with a forester.
1: Yeah. Instead of in the, in the forest
0: with other animals. Why on earth did she live with people? She explains that in a well-known piece from this opera... And the fox is suitably impressed and he will properly introduce himself immediately following. in that case <laughs> uh, I think we know what he's going to go do
1: <laughs> does, he, does he kill the rabbit or does he have some he's Red... a fox what do you think well, I thought, there are different versions where, where he's got some pre-prepared
0: oh you think he has a little stash yeah. of rabbits
1: yeah. just uh, off stage yeah he's obviously killed in advance But <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. well I think it's a good bet that The beautiful lady fox likes rabbits, so take your pick. I'm not sure. Either way, it works. Well, it doesn't take too long. He does come back with a rabbit, Mm -hmm. so either he's a mighty quick hunter or he's got a stash. (laughs) (laughs) And in the meantime, our vixen is smitten. Mm -hmm. And she's not just thinking, oh, he's handsome but she's thinking the flip side of that it's, she's having a moment realizing how lovely
1: she is and
0: preening of pretty
1: yeah
0: <laughs> oh oh me really me <laughs> it's very sweet it's it's this innocent young love because we heard her singing earlier with the dog about what she'd observed going on but but this is different this is not observation this is her feelings. Yeah. And as she's feeling this, the fox comes in and and he's thinking, "Oh, she's so lovely." I mean, it's very sweet. This is young fox love. listening to Opera for Everyone and this is The Cunning Little Vixen by Leos Janacek and Rosie we're we're back on that balancing edge between these anthropomorphized animals and animals being animals because right after this romantic exchange of ooh, he's handsome he thinks I'm pretty I think he she's pretty it's going to change just a little bit because the fox is going to say i i've not found a partner yet but i think i think you're going to be my partner and he embraces her but she gets scared it's too much it's too mm. it's too intense and she says let me go let me go it's it's you're hurting me and then the fox backs off and you think, well, what's going on here? What's going on? And the other animals appear and have commentary. Mm-hmm. And they think it's scandalous. And it's it's kind of flowing between being like people and animal commentary. It's really interesting. And, mm-hmm. I, and I imagine it, it differs from production to production how yeah. it's portrayed. I mean, some of the libretto says... I do not tell foxy lies. This is the fox, by the way, not the Mm -hmm. vixen. I speak what my heart tells me. I love you, not just your body, but your soul evermore. Sounds sort of like a person, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do not say no. You will see, you will see sharp ears. Novels will be inspired by you.
1: Oh, that's a nice line.
0: (laughs) You like that one, right? (laughs) It gets better. It gets better. (laughs) Operas will be sung about sharp ears. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. That's lovely.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Come here, do not leave me. Sit here and let me hold you. Don't cry, don't cry. I too am weeping with happiness. Do you want me? And she relents. Mm-hmm. And when she relents, they slip into the fox den. And then the birds and the bees dance, so to uh-huh. speak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We have little insects doing what the insects do. A little commentary from the insects. And the vixen emerges after the sun comes up. Mm -hmm. And she's sobbing. Rosie, why is the cunning little vixen crying?
1: Well, after all the excitement, the inevitable has happened, and she's realised that in a short space of time, it's not just going to be the two of them. <laughs> yes, she discreetly
0: whispers to the fox. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in a very human way, he says, Well, we'd better look for a priest then. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, sure enough, a woodpecker shows up in the guise of a priest. <laughs> <laughs> and they have a quick wedding surrounded by their animal and insect friends. And that concludes, as weddings often do, that concludes the act, act two.
3: We'd better look for- Please.
0: Going back to Opera for Everyone and this is act three of our three-act opera by Leo Janacek, The Cunning Little Vixen. Rosie, our final act and as we've mentioned this is where Janacek, composer and librettist, really takes this source material and crafts it into the story he wants it to be. He takes the ideas that have been laid as the basis and he directs it in the direction he wants it to go not the direction that was already set forth by the pre-existing novel right so there's this new character who we've not yet seen in the opera who opens the third act
1: and this is in the forest this is the
0: poacher yes the poacher who is also a a poultry dealer he's got a little bit (laughs) of a legitimate business on the side but he probably is dealing in stolen poultry yeah <laughs> I was going to say how does he get his chickens <laughs> yes he's got a, a good line going in his business what impression do we get of of this poacher when he appears on stage
1: he seems quite happy with himself he's, he's having a nice time it's fun yeah as, as he is in the forest he spots the dead rabbit
0: a dead rabbit another
1: dead, another rabbit. dead <laughs> rabbit and where there's dead rabbits there's normally foxes mm,
0: we don't see a fox at this point mm. but A dead rabbit. And his initial instinct is to grab the dead rabbit, because, of course, if you've got a dead rabbit, you've got meat, you've got fur. But then another character comes on stage, the forester appears, and they have a conversation. And in this conversation, the forester learns something that rather upsets him.
1: He learns that the poacher is engaged to
0: to Tarinka. Yes. This mysterious woman whose name keeps popping up. We Uh never do see the woman, but She's the same woman that the schoolmaster was in love with, but not the woman he was marrying. Mm -hmm. The one that the priest fancied long ago. But this is the woman that the poacher says he's about to be married to. And it's shocking to the forester that this poacher is going to marry the off sought after Tarinka.
1: Yeah, this mystical woman.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And the forester is a little suspicious of Harasta because the forester tries to keep order in the forest. So the forester says, <laughs> You haven't been poaching, have you? Oh, no, no. Well, he may see some feathers in his basket behind him.
3: <laughs> I hope you're not poaching, Harasta. God is my witness. The devil may punish me. I swear not a few better not, touch your story not
0: But then the forester sees the dead rabbit. And the poacher is explicitly said he hasn't done
1: any poaching so it can't have been him
0: yes and and after all he's not in possession of the dead rabbit and the forester is very clear oh that was killed by a fox well it can't be anyone other than sharp ears it's like shades of moby dick isn't it uh-huh. it's just
1: fixation isn't it absolutely complete
0: fixation. yeah complete fixation on this sharp ears well here's an opportunity he can finally catch his prey if he sets a trap, a literal trap. She's not going to kill a rabbit and leave it forever. She may have gone off to hunt more, but she will be back.
1: She will return to that, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So they set the trap. He leaves. Harasta leaves. He's a happy man. He's going to see his lovely Tarenka, and he's off. And, and now we have one of the sweetest, most adorable scenes, I think, in the whole show in Scamper. The cutest things you ever did see. The little
1: fox cubs.
0: Lots of them. Lots and lots of little fox cubs. And this
1: is when it seems like it's suitable for children because there are children in the cast.
0: Yes. Well, I think think at various points it Mm. seems suitable for children, Mm. right? Because there are all these animals being cute at various... The insects playing instruments and lots of cute moments. Yeah. I mean, the animal world is by turns cute and terrifying and earthy yeah (laughs) yeah fox cubs are curious, but they have a smart mother and a smart father. So the
1: vixen comes out and sees the trap and keeps the cubs away
0: from danger. Yes, yes. And just to remind us that she's a fox, not a human, she says you can smell the men, the men were here. You can smell his tobacco. So animal qualities once again and the fox continues to be a fox with his lovely vixen come on won't you help me to make some more children and by the way how many children do we have and neither of them knows there's just lots and lots yeah, of yeah, children yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the vixen's a little shy with him a little coy we don't want gossip all over the forest now do we wait till may that's the season that's when we that's when we do that sort of thing <laughs> ah and now Our character Harasta is going to return and the vixen is going to see her own opportunity.
1: This is to take revenge on the horrible tobacco-stained humans.
0: Yes, yes. (laughs) Because after all, he's set a trap. She sees something where she can get some revenge because remember we talked about the feathers in, in the basket that he carries. Yeah. Yes. And we know what he's got in his basket. Well, foxes the, don't
1: just like rabbits. They also like chickens,
0: don't they? We've we've shown that already. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, she manages to get into his basket with all the poultry. And it's not just the vixen. Her whole family gets into it as well. And so all the children have emptied the basket. hmm They've taken all of his poultry.
1: Yeah, and cleared off, but the poacher has a gun. Hmm. And this is the point where one lucky shot, and it hits and kills
0: the victim. Yeah, and there she is, alone on the stage. The children have departed. And this is one of the moments that strikes me as more animal world than human world. The the young ones disperse
1: yeah she suddenly goes back to being a fox again it's this it's mm-hmm.
0: in the purest form yeah yeah and that's the end of our vixen but it's not the end of our story mm. so we have another interlude before our final scene in the opera Rosie, before we talk about this final scene from The Cunning Little Vixen, I just want to share with you a little bit from Janáček's obituary written by Max Brod. Max Brod was the translator of the libretto for Cunning Little Vixen. There's a whole bunch of letters that passed between Janáček and Brod as they prepared this libretto where they talked about clarifications and changes that needed to be made. But just to put it in context, Janicek was in his early 70s when he was composing this, and he was conscious of the fact that he was probably getting towards the end of his life. This was composed beginning in 1922, premiered in 1924, and he died in 1928. So in his obituary, Max Brod praised, highly praised Janáček as a composer at the height of his creative powers, and he spent quite a lot of time talking about his opera, The Cunning Little Vixen, calling it his second most beautiful creation after the incomparable Janufa. Janufa is not an opera we've yet done on Opera for Everyone. (laughs) It's very difficult subject matter. It's very sad. Yes, it is the opera that propelled him into the world of great professional acclaim. And it's interesting because Max Brod says, I often hear that the libretto is bizarre. This is a direct quote. Difficult to stage because the animal figures must be played like animals. And the music is not exactly accessible and it is tricky to perform. Very difficult, but these are senseless objections. He loved this opera. And... He says, it is an opera which depicts the eternally longing man. That's this forester. The man who yearns for nature. He has a home, a family, but the forest belongs to him. And it's there that he finds freedom to fall in love with the wild gypsy girl. That's Tarinka. Mm -hmm. And he catches the adorable little vixen. But it ends badly for him, as it does with all yearning. This vixen is killed, but not by our woodsman, who says that he wants to kill her, he wants to get her. Wants to catch her, yeah. Yeah, it's the poacher, or as Broad calls him, the vagabond, who kills the vixen, who takes this object of desire, this Terenka, and it is our woodsman, this eternally longing man, who ultimately, he says, finds peace in nature, in the infinity of the forest. So Broad really appreciates the fact that when Janáček took this story and made it into an opera and made it his own story by adding this third act of his own creation, he makes it about this man with eternal longing, knitted together with the powers of nature and the power of his music. Well, in this final scene of our third act, we find the forester continuing to fixate on the vixen. But he explains that he found her den abandoned. And he's explaining
1: this to the other humans at this stage.
0: Yeah, he's talking to the schoolmaster. And he hears the innkeeper's wife explaining that Tarinka, who's now the poacher's wife, Mm -hmm. has a fox fur muff. You know what that means. Uh Which must be... Sharp ears. Yeah, that, that muff that the forester's wife kept wanting made out of sharp ears sounds like maybe Tarinka got it. Well, that doesn't sit so well with the forester, but he carries on and he, he does end up in the forest. He's, he's back to
1: the beginning atmosphere of, of nature around and the insects and the animals. And it, it becomes slightly more mystical and abstract again. Like at the beginning, compared to the inn that's very literal, this suddenly becomes slightly more
0: ethereal, I think. Yeah, and I think it's just as there's this cycle of life, the opera is trying to remind us of the cycle of life and bringing us back, bookending in a way, you might call it that, by bringing us back to the same place. But the forester is in a very different place himself. However, we're going to see what looks like that same vixen cub from the beginning scene.
1: So it is that, uh, the cycle of life again, but it's one of the young, young cubs.
0: Well, it's confusing to the forester mm. because he thinks it's sharp ears. Could that be you? And it's not. It's one of the young cubs. But it, is it his memory or is it what he's seeing now? Yeah. But of course it's played by the same person, Uh huh. but it's not. And the final voicing in the opera is a frog, the same frog who appears in the very first scene. And, and interestingly, there was correspondence between Max Broad and Janáček about the frog. Originally, Max Broad didn't like the frog. Max Broad writes to him as part of a full letter. Then I would like to ask you to compose music for some words of the Forester for the last page of the vocal score. Which he could sink into rumination. To end with the frog is impossible. (laughs) (laughs) Janicek, who has agreed to many other changes for the German version,
1: refuses. He says,
0: no. Mm -mm. Yeah. (laughs) He says, but for the end of the opera? Surely it's charming when the little frog ends it. The music is absolutely made for it. And it is original and the merry-go-round of life is thereby truthfully and faithfully depicted because at the end what happens is our forester lays down and there's the frog and you can see the the confusion with this declining forester thinking oh wait the vixen the frog it's all the same. And the frog says, oh. somehow the frog knows. I'm not sure how, yeah, but the, yeah. somehow the frog knows. And the frog says, that, that wasn't me. That was my granddaddy. He used to tell me about you. He used to tell me about you. Oh. And that's the end of it. And I hate to have to add something else, but, but I really must because it's, it's beautiful, As noted in this obituary that Max Brod wrote in Borno at the service for Janáček's funeral, they played the final chorus from The Cunning Little Vixen at these services, and Brod comments, What a requiem! The mortal man's ascension into infinity, composed with an inimitable surge as an eternal paean of life, the sound rang through the theater foyer, and applause broke out, washing over the bronze coffin where the dead man lay. It was impossible to grasp the fact that such music would never again be heard by the man who created it, at least in corporeal form.
1: Oh, wow, that's that's, that's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful.
0: Well, let's hear that fine a little bit. Rosie... Thank you. Thank you as always for joining me on this episode of Opera for Everyone.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Listening to another episode of Opera for Everyone. I've been your host, Pat Wright, joined by illustrator and opera lover Rosie Brooks. If you've enjoyed our show and would like to hear more, please subscribe to the Opera for Everyone podcast. Opera can be challenging, but everyone loves a good story, and a story set to music is even better. Our mission is to make opera understandable, accessible, and enjoyable because we believe. Opera is for everyone.